because if you can get them to watch the whole video, then you know they're, they're I think they're that much more likely to actually click. But if it's a two-minute ad and they lose interest at 30 seconds, uh, you know it's like you want to leave them wanting more, right? It's like they, they they want to learn more. It's like okay, that was really cool. It's already over. Like you know, let me find out more. Hi, Philip here. Welcome back to Careers to Puerto. My guest today is a master of one skill, one content type, and one massive sales channel. When I was researching Dan, a guitar virtuoso and a teacher, there was one review of his course that I found very telling. It said, pros, clear teaching, very concise, and straight to the point. Cons, none. And I think it's like our interview today. Cons, none. Enjoy. I want to start a little bit about industry itself and, and the music and your art in general. Um, you're doing it for a long time. I have not known much about it at all. So before this conversation, I tried to do a little bit of research, ask my friends who are knowledgeable. And the, what, 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 what keep, keeps coming up is that the, the genre of music is changing over the last years. And I want to know from you, uh, do you see that? Do you see that the music is changing and from the perspective of a teacher, uh, then do the needs of the customers change? They want to learn different things. Uh, it's not shredding and solos anymore, but something else, for example. How how do you see it? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. Um, but yes, absolutely, genres are changing. I mean, with the fragmentation of all the different genres that, you know, since, I mean, even just since the internet, uh, that's changed so much where you get all these subgenres of subgenres. And so maybe in the mainstream now, there's not a lot of room for the sort of stuff that I do, uh, but you have, quite a large number of people who play, you know, who want to play or, or or play styles of music that use these types of techniques. And as the genres, that type of genre changes, especially in terms of like shred guitar or um, kind of, you know, like electric guitar where you're doing some kind of difficult techniques or, or let's say flashy kind of techniques, uh, that just is constantly evolving. So uh, one thing about it where the part of what draws people to that part of even the marketing really like like being in my position is using techniques that are kind of you know what you might think of as cutting edge it's like kind of something nobody's seen that one before you know or it something like what's uh what's new but maybe in, with a little twist so i think that from the customer's perspective they're hearing this new music they're seeing these new videos from these new bands and these new uh or, or uh, just artists who are evolving over time and they then definitely want to have access to those techniques. And I think one of the things that as a, as a teacher of this, uh, this kind of thing, um, it, it, like a lot of this, these techniques look so incredibly difficult to play yet actually aren't maybe a fraction, you know, as, as difficult as they theme. And that's kind of the trick to it. You know, there's a lot of these techniques is that, uh, it's all about the, uh, you know, it's like, a, it's a show stopping technique. It's, it's designed to look as impressive as possible. And so for the internet, of course, that's that's how you get the engagement, right? It's like you, you put that front and center. So people are just constantly innovating with uh, different ways to make guitar look more crazy, basically more uh, intense. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I, that's one thing um, that I that's actually a major part of both how I think in terms of advertising and when uh, developing a product. Do you see that the products that you have created years ago become obsolete or you built up upon it. So the cutting edge stuff that has to be always new and you have to always keep creating or the old stuff is a foundation or maybe it's still selling pretty well. Yeah, that's, a, that's a, another great question. Uh, so I have some products that I made that I think uh, that just have continued to do well since uh, since I've made them, uh, which is which I think, um, well, in, in one case, because it's literally just a collection of uh, you know popular classical music, Mm -hmm. transcribed for the electric guitar so that's you know never gonna you know uh, go out of style but uh another one is just that it's a little bit more of a fundamental approach to a technique that's always going to be relevant which would be sweep picking mm -hmm. and and this problem is part of also how i kind of design the course to try to make it not uh, not allow it to become obsolete so by breaking down and teaching a method that makes what you're learning applicable to uh, two new techniques and also giving the tools in order to help them innovate themselves. So it's, 
it's kind of a central theme to to my courses is to try to uh, try to take a, a particular subject, a particular technique, let's say, specialize in that for a whole course, and then um, figure out a way to break it down in such a way where they're not just learning some patterns and learning some specific versions of this technique, but they're kind of learning the inner workings of it and how that applies across any different, you know, many, many different applications, or maybe every possible application at a fundamental level. And so uh, from that perspective, for the most part, uh, I've found that the courses that have done well have continued to do well since I put them out at the same time, which is, you know, which is great. Obviously, that's, that, 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 you know, uh, and uh, but also uh, one thing that I, I try to do is to do always kind of put my own unique approach and perspective into it in such a way that uh, for people who aren't already familiar with my work, it's always going to be a new approach to them. Um, and I think that helps as well. So in, you know, in the marketing, in the sales material, the, the description, it's always like, okay, I, I haven't tried this approach before. And so, um, so I think that helps kind of protect it against uh, becoming obsolete, uh, for at least for, for some time. Yeah, you mentioned that uh, somewhere that teaching did wonders for your own craft. And I, and I really want to know, how does teaching improve, improve your, your, your own craft? There's a lot of ways that, that it does, I would say. I mean, I used to teach private lessons, and probably the first way that I uh, recognized uh, that it was helping me so much uh, was just through, I mean, even teaching kids, because like back in my 20s, I taught private lessons for about 12 years. And I, you know, starting when I was maybe 18 and just up until around, you know, when I turned 30 or so. And what I found was that every single student that I had would interpret what I was teaching them in a different way. And they would uh, either why they were getting it wrong, like why they were having a problem with it or connections they were making that I hadn't thought of before. It just forced me to see it in a different perspective. You know, so with each student, I had a different perspective. Uh, or I, was, I was kind of forced to have this different perspective in order to be able to reach them, you know, as a student. Um, and over time, that, that just gave me this much broader understanding of, of guitar in general. And uh, and music uh, in, in a lot of, in a lot of cases, but moving forward to making these kind of specialized courses, uh, of course, one thing is I I'm, I'm trying to make something that is for a specific audience. I, I, so it's, I'm making it for people. I know what they want to learn. I know what, uh, and it's also something that I'm personally interested in and have some expertise in. And so, uh, uh, and again, like I was saying, I want to make something that that really will last. That has you know something you know uh, kind of a, a special you know ingredient to it. So just the fact of having to dig into that topic for so for so long and like really try to construct this course and and bring it all together, it, it again it kind of forces these new perspectives. It causes me to make new connections, um, and of course I'm then practicing, you know, in different ways and practicing the, the exercises that I'm putting together. And I and I found that to be uh, that like almost yeah I mean just incredibly uh, beneficial. Uh, but and then of course getting feedback from students and getting, uh, or seeing their progress or it's similarly, it's, it's giving me new insight, I guess, or, oh, I missed, you know, it's like somebody's, Hey, you should have maybe gotten more into this. And it might be something that I never even thought of as a musician before. Uh, and so then I get into that and, you know, for the next course and it's just broadens, you know, my, uh, my, uh, horizons, I guess. You mentioned one-on-one -on -one coaching and I wonder what is the trade-off of learning such a practical art like guitar playing online? Yeah, so, I mean, if we're talking about one-on-one, uh, because -on -one, uh, of course you could do one-on-one -on -one online as well uh, versus the courses, that, but if we were to compare one-on-one -on -one, uh, to the courses, mm -hmm. that's a really good, uh, really good question. I think the difference is, one of the big differences, of course, is that uh, when you when the course like this is put together, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's specialized in a very particular area. So if you were seeking a guitar teacher, you'd need to find a guitar teacher who specialized in that area, right? To get the same mm -hmm. sort of benefit. Um, I, I think that's one of the benefits of, of using a course. So if you're if you're if that's your intention, if that's your your desire. Also, I think uh, there's like myself, I don't do very well personally learning um, maybe in a, in a like in a class environment or from a teacher. I, I'm better at just kind of you know learning from maybe a course or a book or. You know something like that, and actually, my own approach to learning, I, I inject into the courses uh, in a way so that people who are more like me in that way can can really benefit from that. But uh, but I would say that like obviously one one huge benefits because um, uh, you can actually go in each week or or whenever your time is, and they can you know manually help you and answer your questions and and 
pointed out too. So that like the courses will never, you know, can never take the place of that. But, uh, uh, but I've also found, you know, one of the things that I do with my courses is I offer teachers, if you buy my courses to be able to use the course to teach their students, you know, um, just under mm -hmm. the condition that they tell the student where it's from and, you know, yeah. uh, leave like the website or whatever on it. And uh, I've found a number of teachers, you know, will use my courses as part of their curriculum, let's say, with their own students. And I'm sure they do that with a lot of other courses online as well. So, I, I, yeah, I think it's I think the big trade off is obviously you're losing that one on one connection, but then you're getting to learn from uh, with the course. Uh, you're getting to learn either from a guitarist who you want to play like specifically, like, um, you know, cause I'm, you know, as a musician, I have a lot of music released. And so, you know, a lot of people want to learn like specifically what I'm doing, you know, and, and what is it that my approach is. And so, uh, you know, obviously going to another teacher, another guitarist, they wouldn't have that information. Uh, so I think that's another part as well. I want to stop on, uh, on one thing that you mentioned about the specificity of the knowledge. Uh, and the course that you're providing on one technique, for example. Um, wh what I see is that people often have some specific knowledge and they have some amazing craft, but they struggle to teach it because it's difficult to convey information in a simple, understandable way. Did you find some techniques or tips for people who have some knowledge and want to teach it to others to do it in a way that can be applicable to any level, any any type of person? But yeah, that's, that's a really good question. I'm going to have to think for a second. Um... Yes. Uh, I mean, that's one thing that, I mean, teaching in pri private lessons helped with me a lot, you know, to, to just to kind of have that interplay. I would recommend, you know, doing some of that to get that idea. But really, it's about trying to find a way, you know, it's about analogies, right? It's like finding a way that what does the average person already know that this can relate to? So with me, you know, it's always trying to find this way. And I think any teacher who, you know, is, you know, teaches something special like this uh, comes up with a similar method. But the... Um, uh, yeah, the main thing is just trying to figure out how this information relates to, uh, you know, something that's common knowledge that, and surprisingly, and that's one of the things too, it's, it's interesting to me that's kind of over the years, like getting into all of this and because, you know, I, you know, learning, you know, uh, composition, guitar, different instruments, getting into making these courses, teaching, doing, uh, you know, recording and mixing and all that. It's all, the, all these different areas, but there are certain patterns of information, I guess, that uh, kind of, like if you get really good at one thing, then it's easier to get good at another thing. Uh, and so it can seem, um, it can seem like teaching in itself is a skill. So uh, I don't want to get too uh, uh, too often a tangent here, but I, I think that if you can find the way that things connect, you know, it's like if you can find how like the simplest way that this can be boiled down, and then how can that be? What's the analogy that people can relate to with that? And uh, and so that's like. Yeah, that's something that I really put a lot of time into when designing my courses is trying to find that way of taking this this what could be considered very complicated information and then boiling it down to the simplest uh, possible version and creating a foundation uh, from that using some analogies and then building you know on on that. And I have a course, the Infinite Shred Method, and this was inspired in part by this idea of boiling information down and. Uh, and so like the whole method of teaching it is based on boiling down uh, the repeating patterns that occur on the fretboard of the guitar, uh, which, which if you think about like all of the diatonic scales, for example, the modes all the way across the fretboard, it seems like it's just an incredible amount of information. But in reality, it's only made up of three different patterns of three notes that repeat across, you know, the whole fretboard. And then you can, you know, there's 12 different keys, but you can just shift that information up to a different root note. And now you know the entire fretboard. And that's basically the, it's like you take this, what seems to be uh, unimaginably complicated information. And it's actually quite simple if you if you know the, the way to look at it. And uh, and, and a lot of students uh, taking that course, have, that's one of their main things that they, they um, enjoy about it so much or, or have benefited from it so much. Uh, and so I, I really think that works. So I think if you can find the way to the, the simplest version of whatever it is um and not simple like you know you're talking to a little kid but simple as in you know functionally simple it, it, it contains the information um and it might have to be a step-by-step -step process but whatever it, it, and that's easier to relate because if you start with technical jargon if you start with you know all this uh 
you get into all this complicated stuff, you know, it's just going to go over their heads. So uh, if they're not, you know, um, already uh, well versed. So, um, so yeah, I, I think that would be the, the uh, that would be my advice is to try to find the simplest way to talk about something and try to find how it relates to something that would be common knowledge. Do you think that you have to be an expert in what you do in order to teach people? Or you just have to be a few steps ahead of the people that you actually want to teach and it's good enough? That's a that's a, another great question. Uh, yeah, I would say that you that you could be a teacher. If you're really good at teaching, then you don't even necessarily need to know that much about what you're teaching. If you have access, especially today with like the internet, you know, just Google or something. I mean, obviously you have to have reliable sources. I wouldn't recommend doing that, but but I think that a really good teacher could could do that as long as they're taking the time to you know formulate their course ahead of time even if they're if they're teaching a class or they're teach or designing a course if they take the time to really understand it take the time to really you know and I, I, like you said a few steps ahead i think that that uh if you have if you've developed that skill of teaching um and understanding how to convey information uh in an effective way to like let's you know the general audience that would be uh, consuming it then i would say that yeah you don't necessarily it helps to be an expert because you don't mm-hmm. have to do as much research, but I would say definitely you wouldn't have to uh, have to be um, if you uh, if you already developed this this uh, ability for teaching. Okay, then let me put you on the spot. What makes a good teacher then? Well, I think you know uh, I think it's important to be able to put yourself in the in the mind or in the you know into the perspective of, of the student. I think mm-hmm. that's really important. So having that ability to empathize in that way and kind of imagine what um, what that student's experience would be based on different levels of knowledge, pre-knowledge. Let's say like, okay, well, this student has zero knowledge ahead of time. Um, and, uh, you know, what, what are the, like, how are they going to be interpreting this when they see it? Like what, uh, and, and, and if you were that student, uh, so I think having that, uh, like, and I would, again, I, I prefer to say developing that ability is, uh, is something that I think is, is invaluable, it, it, critical, you know, for a, for a good teacher. Uh, but also, it's really important, I think, for a good teacher to be able to take criticism and be able to listen to students and hear that feedback. Um, I, I think that there's a lot of teachers who are, a lot of people who are like just tremendous experts at what they do and have great teaching skills. But you know, all of us creative people are super sensitive people, right? We we hate feedback. We hate criticism, right? Uh, and so it takes a little practice to get uh, to be able to handle that in a way that's that's useful. Uh, and it's not always presented in the nicest uh, way, but I think uh, developing a little bit of a of a um, maybe separating yourself a little bit from that kind of taking a bird's eye view, being able to hear that criticism, judge that criticism, and incorporate uh, that. I think those are two characteristics that really make a great teacher. Uh, uh, if if you're not willing to hear the criticism, then how can you grow? Right? It's like you're you're uh, that element because like, you're not hearing the experience of the people that you're trying to to teach to. So, uh, so I do think that the ability to really connect to the student, even if it's from this kind of abstract sense, it's like there's going to be some student I'll never meet watching this course I'm making. And you kind of imagine like what uh, that, that ability to do that, I think is, is, is really key. How do you get feedback then? Because you put your stuff online. So some of it, uh, like YouTube comments or something is constructive feedback and some of it probably borders into hate. Um, right. Sure. <laughs> do, do, do you seek it in any case? Uh, you, you you still want as much feedback and as much as much information as possible to build your own skills and and be better, or you sometimes like okay, this I, I cannot handle this anymore. My YouTube channel is a good place for me to get feedback and comments simply because um, I'm not very consistent with uploading to YouTube. Uh, something that I intend to to be doing a new strategy with this this year. So my my audience on there has like. Uh, on like mostly it's Facebook where people are seeing my stuff, mm-hmm. uh, but on YouTube the people who are there are people who um, have like are intentionally staying there. So there, there's I don't really get a lot of negative comments um, there, which is kind of a bad sign because it means it's not necessarily reaching new people there. But uh, but at least within the first couple of days when I'm looking at the uh, those comments, that that's a good way to get kind of a positive. You know, I don't have to worry too much about getting some sort of hate. Uh, uh, other than that, you know, uh, typically people will send emails uh, who have taken the courses, uh, which I think is maybe the best way because somebody who's willing to take the time to do that is mm-hmm. really also taking the time to think about it. They're 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 coming at you with a with a real either you know um, 
uh, like, you know, praising something about it and then you know, suggesting something or criticizing something, but it's coming from not just from like an emotional uh, reactive uh, place. And I think that's better. Facebook, when I'm in the mood and I feel comfortable, maybe reading some very nasty things, uh, that's another, yeah, I'll sometimes go there, but that's where I usually reach new people, especially through advertising. So that sometimes I can get some very, uh, very nasty uh, comments. So I uh, kind of have to make sure I'm in the right mood to, to interact with that, try to stay positive about it. Uh, but uh, yeah, the, and then sometimes like because these people have emailed me, uh, you know, I, I, uh, certain students that have given me really good feedback in the past, I, I can then sometimes email them and ask their opinions on, on things. And, and I plan to do surveys for my next course, for example, I plan to do a survey through my mailing list. Uh, which I haven't done before, but I think that that would be that's going to be a very effective uh, uh, way way to do it for sure. Uh, you mentioned the social media platforms and advertising, so let's go there because that's fascinating. Uh, so when when we see um, people uh, creating content like yours these days, is mostly YouTube or TikTok even or Instagram, and your audience over quarter of a million, I think, is on Facebook. Is it historically because that's where you started and that's where you were growing? Or is it because advertising and Facebook being still the best advertisement platform? I would say advertising is a huge part of it. Um, there, I think it's there's two two factors. Um, advertising, because I've just been advertising on there now for years, is a huge part. Although I don't really get new likes through ads anymore. So I don't know. That um, kind of really? stopped a couple of years ago maybe three years ago, it's like very rare that new likes for, or follows from the page come through ads. So I don't know if that's a change in the fa way Facebook does it. But uh, but also uh, Facebook, at least, uh, and it's, you know, it's kind of hit or miss. It, it, all the social media platforms, algorithms start to, you know, diminish your ability to reach your own audience. But, uh, but what I've found is that at least for a time, Facebook was really allowing my, the, the followers that I had to see, you know, the uh, to be exposed to what I was posting, mm -hmm. and in that allowed this sort of um, uh, really a very very rapid growth of followers, uh, uh, it, which hasn't changed that much in several years. Uh, so I would say it's a little bit of a combination of the two. Like YouTube um, was a very slow growth, and then by the time it started really picking up steam, and you know, like on average getting ten twenty thousand views for an upload initially. Uh, which now seems so small, but back then it you know it seemed pretty significant. But it's like uh, uh, now, if I just post a video to YouTube, uh, like right around the time that happened, they kind of they did something, they changed something, and now uh, even though I have let's say fifty something thousand subscribers, maybe two thousand see an upload. So um, now I again, I'm not very good at keeping up with. I'm not really good with social media. I'm not like like I should have hired somebody a long time ago to to do this stuff for me. Uh, so like, I don't ask people to ring the bell or subscribe, like, you know, and I don't really consistently upload it kind of like, I'm more, uh, you know, I, I make songs, you know, I, I write songs and, and music videos, host those when I make them. And then when I'm making courses and then in between, I'll sometimes, so I'm very inconsistent with that, which I strongly recommend against, you know, to anyone, to anyone uh, watching this. Uh, yeah. I mean, like, uh, cause I, I, you know, it, this is something I was just uh, talking about with with some of the other day but uh, my current platform everything that i put together and my current audience if i were to there's a few things if i could just simply get myself to to let's say make a, a you know a short video demonstrating something teaching something each week for youtube and facebook and if i were to start putting things on tiktok and, and doing all that uh you know i may not need to do much advertising anymore uh and so uh, that's something that i hope to do uh to do this year i i hope to get more um, consistent with that stuff. How much of your purchases right now on an average day come from organic stuff and organic content versus advertising? Is it most of your business? On average, like on a, on a regular day, I would say definitely advertising is where most of the sales are coming from on a regular day. If I'm running a sale to my mailing list or something, then, mm -hmm. you know, it's like 80, 90% comes from the mailing list. Uh, so it's, it's a little, although advertising picks up at that time, because obviously they're seeing, uh, uh, and one trick that I found that really, really helps is to make a new thumbnail for the products that I'm putting on sale um, that very clearly has like a 50% off or whatever, and then a date for when uh, the sale is going to end on the thumbnail. And the reason why I found that, and that like that changed everything when I when I figured that out, because you know you can you can use the countdown timer, you know, the, which is an amazing feature of Selfie, 
and it can show when the sale ends. But there's so many websites online that pretend to have a countdown timer, right? It's like when you click, it starts this timer. You can refresh and the timer restarts. So there's so many of these kind of fake come on kind of things. So when you actually have it in the image that it says the date that it's going to end, uh, and then it, and then you have a special picture with like a maybe a, like it looks like a sticker that says 50% off. I found that to uh, really be a game changer in terms of uh, sales, uh, especially when I'm running a sale and how it uh, how I get sales through ads, like to new like and acquiring new customers. Uh, that because uh, it's a little bit of a trust thing, you know, but it also um, it's more, you know, it grabs their attention a little bit more. But that's happened. That happens already on the landing page, right? On on your store. So, um, what what kind of information uh, is important in the adver uh, advertisement itself? What kind of um, image or text is important to to make people click so they can see this timer? Okay, so this is this is an area that may not apply too much to other people, and I apologize for that, just because of the specific thing that I do, but. The ads that I found for me that work the best mm -hmm. are really just clips of techniques, like the most like compelling, um, the most engagement worthy, you know, uh, uh, the type of thing that's going to stop somebody scrolling. Uh, it's like kind of just condensed without really, usually without me saying anything with very little text, maybe at the end, it just has the name of the product, you know, and the address or something, but it's really just kind of a, a, a barrage, I'll say, of very like eye-catching, flashy techniques that are being taught in the course um, or, uh, or you know, are somehow related to the product, uh, it, depending on what type of product it is. Uh, but yeah, that, so that, so really just having something that just, and, I, and, it, and that certainly that can translate in other ways uh, to other areas, but uh, I haven't thought a lot about that. Uh, so I don't have, a, I, I'd have to think about it, but certainly the idea, if you were to boil that down, it's just, People are looking for something, right? There's people are interested. It's like in this case, they see that and they want to be able to do that. And so, um, you know, it's, it's if you can just kind of show that to them, and uh, then at least they'll click, and you can then have the opportunity to sell them on the on the product. But uh, uh, I think any way that you can reach people uh, with something that's eye catching, like thinking of how the customer or the potential customer is, they're scrolling through their feed, something appears that you get like. Two seconds, maybe a second mm -hmm. to stop there, to grab their attention. It's like, and and with the video ads, I use only video ads. Um, you you have that autoplay. So you know, if, if if the first two seconds is just like an introduction text or something, they're just going to scroll right by it. But if it's like a, you know, some crazy thing, then you know it might stop them. Um, and I started wearing more, you know, colorful shirts and using different types of guitars and you know figuring out different ways to kind of so, so my ads don't. Uh, all look the same and and but uh but anything where you can really uh interrupt somebody's you know focus while they're scrolling i think uh, uh is very helpful and then if and then if you can keep their attention and that's i try to keep the ads short so 20 30 second video because if you can get them to watch the whole video then you know they're, they're i think they're that much more likely to actually click but if it's a two minute ad and they lose interest at 30 seconds uh, you know, it's like you want to leave them wanting more, right? It's like they, they, they want to learn more. It's like, okay, that was really cool. It's already over. Like, you know, let me find out more. Yeah, I, I, w I wanted to say that actually I think that applies to almost every industry and every type of ad. You're you're not just showing what you can do, but you're actually selling sort of the promise. You're selling you can do it as well, right? That's exactly right. So now I do have the same type of ad, but I'll have it be as a square ad with bars on the top and bottom that contain yeah. text. So like the name of the product and then the um, uh, like what it teaches or like how many exercises, whatever. It's like whatever is the type of thing they'd be looking for. And then that text doesn't change during the 30 seconds. So at any point they click the ad, it doesn't really matter if they start at the beginning and halfway through or towards the end. It's like whenever they start watching it, the text, they're always seeing the important text on the top and bottom. And then they're um, and then they're always seeing that. Uh, of course, they're going to be more distracted by the guitar playing. But once they're thinking, hey, I want to do that. And, and, if, and the headline of the ad is normally something like that, that is letting them know it's like uh, that you can, you know, you can do this too. Uh, something along that line. So absolutely. Can you take us a little bit behind the scenes of your advertising strategy? Um, do, do they run by now on autopilot basically and you have a system that works and you have developed over the years and it just goes? Or because the changes that happen all the time, uh, do you need to rediscover and reapply and also do it all by yourself or you have some help so um so i do everything pretty much by myself 
Although I was lucky that one of my closest friends growing up got into marketing. So yeah. in the early days, that was very helpful. Um, although uh, he got more into SEO marketing. So, uh, so there were some, so there were some limits there, but, but it was a, really helped me with a lot of stuff at the beginning. We got a minute. I'll tell the story of how I got into doing Facebook advertising. I think we have a minute or two. Absolutely. You know, I basically, uh, when I, uh, back when I, you know, I was teaching, I lived up in the Sacramento area and, um, you know, of course I was working very hard on, on my music career and I, you know, it made some kind of, um, I guess, you know, sponsorship type things with a couple of companies and I got to perform and couple different countries. I got to go to China and Germany and it looked like things were, were really picking up uh, and it was really exciting. And then that kind of, you know, uh, I made some connections down in this area where I lived in uh, Los Angeles area. And so, um, so anyway, I was getting ready to move and I, I didn't want to teach private lessons anymore. I wanted to kind of move on from that. And so, um, so I kind of worked out some connections for doing kind of sponsored videos for people or kind of demonstrating a guitar and amplifier. And so when I first moved down here, that was what I was doing. And it was, it was enough, you know, it was like paying the bills, uh, but I didn't really have any other, I mean, I was making like dollars from YouTube AdSense, which, uh, uh, now, yeah, I don't, I mean, getting those views now, you probably be getting 20 cents, but, uh, but anyway, but I was getting like, you know, a month or something like that and, you know, almost nothing. And then I had courses that I'd made with, uh, metal message, which is a, a kind of a legendary company. I was, uh, that was a big thing that when, when, uh, Doug Marks had contacted me back in like 2011. And so that was a little bit of income, you know, it wasn't like a lot of money, but I was uh, supplemental. And so, uh, I came down here and I was kind of, um, you know, uh, paying the bills by, by doing these, these, uh, sponsored, uh, video type thing. Something happened where it became clear that I wasn't going to be able to rely on this, uh, anymore. And so I had to try to figure out a way to monetize separately. And so I'd already created all these classical, um, arrangements in like the metal style where, I mean, really, I'm just taking, you know, like a piece by Beethoven or somebody and directly translating it to like a, the, you know, the very little, uh, input from me, just trying to keep it as close to the, to the real thing as possible. Uh, but, but, you know, for electric guitar and a, like kind of a metal band, a situation. Um, and, uh, I made a number of these. So I decided to try, uh, see if I could sell like a, a package with the tabs for that. And, and, and so, um, and I'd already signed up with Selfie before to sell like an album, but I hadn't done much with that. Um, and so, but I had some sales and I had a, a mailing and, you know, list through Selfie that at the time that I, I, had, uh, so I, I was able to sell some of those products. So I, I decided to get into, um, I, I, you know, I was in this situation where the pressures were on me and I wasn't sure how I was going to, going to, uh, you know, uh, pay the rent the next month. So I, uh, I tried, you know, the Facebook advertising, I had about $20 to, to spend. That was about all I had. So I had to, I, I had to figure out how to make it profitable, not just, uh, you know, uh, you get, you get what I, I mean. So, um, so yeah, so I, I, I did a lot of trial and error with very small amounts of money over the course of, of about a month. And then I was able to start, uh, you know, testing different prices, different ads and all that. And eventually, you know, it actually started to make profit on it. And it was just enough to, to get me by with this other kind of these other supplemental thing. Uh, and so, uh, from album sales and those other courses I'd made, uh, and uh, yeah, so anyway, so that was how I got started with it. That was, I don't know, six years ago or, or more. Um, and, uh, and since then, of course, I've learned a lot more about, about uh, Facebook uh, advertising. But back then, I had to almost be constantly, like as vigilant as possible, changing ads, trying new things. Uh, you get this ad that just worked fantastically well. And then all of a sudden, it's not even making any sales anymore. And you'd have the, uh, I, I found this weird... Um, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, but uh, basically I thought, okay, well, I'm making profit, spending this much money a day. So what if I, I should be able to like spend 10 times as much to make 10 times that profit. So I tried to ramp it up and tried to scale it up in various different ways. And what I found was uh, it always got to a point where like the higher I'd get, the lower relative to it, it would always, the profits would get lower. And there was one month where, and this was like astronomical for me at the time, where I had $10,000 in sale. And but it's like, I don't have any money. Like, where did it all go? And I realized that because I'd gone up to spending like $500 a day, which was, again, like a crazy amount of money for me at the time. But the ads were just paying for themselves. And I made like zero, exactly zero profit. Uh, I didn't lose any money. Thank God. I didn't really have any to lose, you know. But uh, so so anyway, uh, but uh, but moving forward, uh, I, you know, just testing and, and trying new things. And of course, Facebook advertising has gotten a lot better since then. 
but uh, yeah, the ads now I, I kind of just keep the same ads going um, almost indefinitely. And uh, I, I, I used to check them every day. I used to, uh, I, now I check them maybe once every couple months. So if I'm running a sale, I'll start a couple new ads. Um, uh, every so often I'll go through and check it. But uh, typically I, I don't have to do much with it. Uh, well, kind of finding that that sweet spot. And then if I notice sales start to come down a little bit, um, I'll then go and kind of maybe tweak a couple things, you know, uh, end a couple ads, start a couple new experiments, try a few tests, uh, and uh, pick and just keep the ones that are uh, that are, are performing well. And yeah, uh, amazingly, they'll they'll last sometimes uh, as long as like a year. I've had uh, the same ads running, uh, and then but if Facebook makes a change, sometimes I'll have to kind of redo everything. Uh, so maybe maybe once a year, I, uh, that might be a good way to put it. Uh, maybe once every six months to a year, I'll have to uh, either make major overhaul or um, start from scratch. Can you share with us uh, the profit margin? Like how much do you earn per do dollar spent? It really depends, I guess, on the time of year. It depends on certain factors. It can vary pretty wildly. But my my goal is to have... Uh, to at least be making like a hundred percent of what I'm spending, you know, I think on average now, let me think like this is this last month was pretty good. It's quite a bit higher than that. I, it's quite maybe three hundred percent or something. But it's important to find that sweet spot, you know, it's important to find the because uh, it's like you'd think you could just scale that up, but there is sort of a limit. Uh, having different products, having more ad videos, having different ads, of course, really helps. but um, but it's pretty difficult to, to scale it up. I, I've found uh, there really is like a ceiling for me with uh, with advertising, uh, even though the potential market is in the tens of millions. You know, I, I have like the audience and the algorithm on Facebook is so good at reaching the right people now. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, for some reason, and I've talked about this with people at Facebook, nobody seems to really understand exactly like why this works this way. Obviously scaling is a, is a problem for every, in every industry. But uh, uh, but it's a weird effect that uh, with maybe has to do something with the way the algorithm works, um, but uh, like in how it's spending your money when you're spending more. But it does seem that there's a point, and it's probably different for each person's, um, you know, whatever their product is, whatever their their audience that they're reaching is. There seems to be a, a kind of a ceiling where once you go above that, you're, there's a, a proportional diminishing of, of profit. I noticed that your ads, your YouTube content, almost every video from the beginning, I think I found videos from 10 or 14 years ago, the, this, the style didn't really change. It's you playing the guitar with, with the focus clearly on the guitar, not on you, not on your face. You, you don't have any, and I, and I wonder, um, does it put any stress on you as a creator uh, to, 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 because you're much more um, dependent on the quality of your music and your content rather than, I don't know, you know, unboxing videos, reviews of gear and so on and so forth. Oh, I mean, I have chosen one, one of the most um, unnecessarily difficult uh, areas for content creation. You know, if you, if, if you look at it from that perspective where the amount of work that goes into a single video where I could do something where I could spend 10 minutes and you know, do an improvised video like a blog, or do unboxing videos. You know, maybe spend a couple hours a day doing that sort of thing. Um, which, uh, uh, but the th yes, and and you know, I've, I've thought about that a lot. I because I, sometimes like a video might take me to invest 40, 100 hours into doing something. Especially, yeah, especially if I'm making like a song or, or a music video, which of course supports my the business end. But in reality, it's you know, for me, the business is just supporting my ability to create the music that I want to create. Right. So it's. So that's kind of where the trade-off is. But even, I don't know, just as a creative person, um, it's hard for me to do things cynically, I guess. It's hard for me to approach something without it being from a real place of inspiration, without it being, uh, I, like, I want to really, uh, like, if I'm going to make a course, I'm not just trying to make money. It's like, I want I, I want to share something that's important to me. You know, I want to, like, reach people with it. I, I, I want to create something really of value um, that doesn't already exist. It's like... Uh, I don't want to just remake something and just be competing with, you know, just to try to make some some money. I, I want to create something that is new, that is representational of, of, of me and what I've learned, my own perspective, uh, and that uh, means something to me. And I, I think uh, that in itself makes everything more fulfilling, but it also makes my ability to earn quite, you know, it's, it's quite limiting to that. Uh, 
but uh, but yeah, I, I, you know, I prefer it. I, I, you know, obviously, I prefer to to be uh, to make more money. But I, I don't think I would enjoy that type of lifestyle. I, I think it would be too, um, uh, uh, yeah, it just wouldn't be for me. So I, I prefer to just uh, put the real time. Like there's a current, like I'm working on a, a song right now and, and a music video that the amount of time that's going to go into this, because granted I'm doing everything myself. So because um, there's uh, going to be animation in it, there's going to be, uh, there's there's kind of elaborate costumes and, and uh, masks. And, and I even, you know, built a guitar for it. And it, it, you know it's incredibly in-depth and complicated, but the um, uh, you know and the song itself is is you know rather complicated. The composition um, it's still you know in its in its kind of beginning stages, and so uh, but to me that's that's the thing I love most. But do you think that that's why people resonate with your products and your courses and your content? You know, there is an ocean of products like yours probably in somewhere online, but but people wait and buy from you for years and maybe that's why right because you right. don't you don't just churn them out every week you actually right, spend yeah. hundreds of hours that abs- yeah I'm sh- absolutely absolutely I-, i think that's a and that's a point that i think anybody can can take is that if you if you you can stand out by simply um really doing something you're passionate about and caring about what you're making and uh yeah and i do believe i mean i i mean you know uh Not, not to like false modesty or something. I, I, I you know, gotten feedback. I do know that that that's something that keeps people coming back. So I, I know that's a, you know, it's the sincerity of it. I guess it's the, mm-hmm. it's the, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really trying to create something of value and and something that's meaningful to me. And I think that that's something that absolutely, because yeah, any area where you can make money, there's always going to be kind of a gold rush kind of, air, you know, saying. And you're going to get a lot of people maybe who might be creative people, but they haven't really explored their creativity yet. They just need to make money. And so they're just looking, what's the fastest, easiest way to make digital content, digital products? And the problem is everybody's doing that. So, um, you know, if you don't have some something of your own, something that... Uh, another thing is people try, I think, uh, especially with the internet, how fragmented it is. The idea of trying to reach a general audience, mm-hmm. unless you're like on the forefront of artificial intelligence or some you know, mainstream thing and you're already like the big, you know, person in that area, you don't want to be trying to reach a general audience. It's better to try to find people more like yourself who maybe like, because, well, and just a quick digression, I mean, there's products that I, that I've made that I wished existed since, you know, I was in my, like I was in high school, you know, it's like things mm-hmm. that I looked for that, that weren't on the market. And then I eventually made that, those products, you know what I'm saying? And I, I think, um, So I know that there's other people like me out there who wished those products existed. And so now they do, you know, you know, and I, I think that's something that uh, can be really helpful to anybody starting out or, or you know, experiencing the, the, the difficulty that everyone experiences when they're first uh, doing something like this um, is if you can create, and, and this has been said before, this isn't my own idea, but creating what you wish, you know, existed, but doesn't, you know, uh, uh, filling that void, uh, even if it, only resonates with a relatively small group of people we're talking about billions of people 10 million people as a small group you know let's dive in a little bit into your products that you've mentioned so you have cheap um, products for two dollars and courses for hundreds that are on promotion often for like 50 um how do you think about the smaller products versus the bigger products are you trying to sell first the cheaper ones hopefully upsell people to the more expensive ones or the opposite, and the second ones are just addition. Most of my smaller products are really just like a single song tab backing track. Mm-hmm. And usually, really, those only get purchased by people who are like actual fans of my music, um, not necessarily uh, people just coming to me to learn. Because, uh, you know, of course, I have my core audience who are here for the, you know, there for the music. Uh, maybe then that bleeds over into people who are there to learn as well. Mm-hmm. the bulk of people coming or people wanting to learn. So um, so I would say that uh, most of the $2 and that kind of thing is more uh, more just, that really only reaches the, I don't advertise any of that. It really just reaches the, those, those like the, you know, my audience for my music. But, um, uh, but the larger products, I've tried various things like upselling, of course, with the, with the, that feature on Selfie uh, has been, you know, it's very, very useful. Uh, where I have certain products that really do pair well together. They go well together or they complement each other. Um, and so, um, uh, yeah, it, it, it's a hard question to answer because uh, there's been different times where 
trying to sell a product for of this type for thirty or forty dollars just doesn't work, and I need to drop the prices down. And there's been times where uh, making a product, you know, that's it's like the better best way to go is like a fifty dollar product, uh, and so you kind of have to be cognizant of that. But one thing that I can say that that uh, kind of guides me in how I price things is um, it's just the idea of what is the actual value of what I'm making. Like, mm-hmm. like, so, and, and have that value be consistent throughout the, the product. So if I have a, a guitar course and guitar courses go roughly for 20 or $30, um, then, and then I have a, a guitar course that's actually three full courses in one package. It's like a three part course. Then I can price that based on the price of a single course, you know? So it's like three times that amount with a little discount because you're buying mm-hmm. all three. Uh, and, and that's kind of how I've approached it. Um, but I do think de- uh, it depends on a variety of factors, but there's definitely, I've had success selling, like when I first started selling very cheap products through advertising and then uh, upselling them, or in that case, at that time, years ago, uh, using the mailing list to later sell them on a product that's a little bit more expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that was very helpful. Uh, I've tried that strategy again, like uh, not too far in the past now, maybe a year or so. And uh, it didn't didn't work. Uh, it just didn't pan out, uh, which was which was interesting. Uh, and I think I would have had to have created a course specifically for that purpose. Uh, and and I think if I had done that, then that would work. Um, otherwise, I find that I guess my average sale, if you broke everything down, is like thirty dollars. That would be like the average sale that comes through, um, like averaging out all the sales. And so having products that are like around twenty dollars, having products up to about fifty dollars. Seems to be um, uh, depending on how well I can market it, how well I can uh, present, like what it's going to do for the person, uh, get their attention. Um, if it's really something where I can demonstrate the value, uh, it, it, it will pay for itself with the ads and, and become profitable. What is the price point that you're advertising, and is the fifty percent discount with the, in the thumbnail that you mentioned included in that? Yeah, so uh, so I've tried different things. The the I, I advertise numerous products now, so. Uh, and that's one way I've been able to scale up is just by having uh, what I would call ad-worthy products. You know, ones mm-hmm. that you can direct sales, like just like, like you've never heard of me, you've never seen my products, uh, you, you know, but here's an ad and people are going to be willing to buy this like cold. You know, some products aren't like that. People who use my products will go and buy those other products later, but there are certain products that people will buy them if they're coming across me for the first time and it's, you know, with the right ad video. So, uh, and for, I have a yeah, so I, I go those go from about I think twenty dollars to I get yeah, twenty to fifty, I think is the products mm-hmm. I advertise are between twenty and fifty dollars. Um so or nineteen ninety nine or whatever. Um and uh and yeah, it's something like that. Uh yeah, so which would make sense why thirty dollars would be like the average. But uh but yeah, the, the, between that price point is what I've found works best uh, for what I'm doing. Um, but again, like when I first started, my first product I advertised was four dollars, three ninety nine uh, was the price I found that that worked, and uh, and so the beauty of that was I was able to make a profit doing that, have the ads pay for themselves, but then build up a mailing list of people who are opting in, you know, for future uh, future uh, products, and you know, ended up being thousands of people, you know, when you're selling this su- like super super cheap product. Have you nailed what makes an impulse buy possible? Outside of the price, of course, there nobody's going to impulse buy something for five hundred dollars, but twenty, fifty for sure. But what makes the product or the offer so compelling that people who have never heard about you are willing to buy on the spot? Um, yeah, so I think in the case of what I do, because it's, it's so technique oriented with the courses, and the technique is so um, it's it's meant to be flashy. You know, it's meant to catch people's attention. It's it really lends itself well to something like an impulse buy because you have somebody who's been procrastinating learning the guitar for a long time or, or learning this type of technique, mm-hmm. you know, then they see this and it's like, man, I, it just reminds them, you know, it's like, this is something I want to do. And it's like, hey, I, I think there's, you know, my guess would be just trying to get into the, the you know, kind of imagining the mindset of, of a buyer um, would be that it's like, hey, I need to commit, you know, it's like, I, I want to do this. I've been putting it off. If I buy this now, then, you know, when I'm feeling this way, I'm going to maybe not thinking about it that way, but, you know, feeling that way, uh, if I'm by this right now, I'm, and that'll, that's going to motivate me to, to, to do it. Um, and I think that being able to offer something that people really want and, and 
really offer it in a way that that shows them they can attain it. You know, um, I, I think that uh, uh, if you can really demonstrate that in a way that will get, you know, give them an emotional response um, where they really feel it, they feel that like I want this, I want to be able to do this. Um, I think to me that would be my best. Uh, I, I really I can maybe say educated guess as to you know what what would what would lead to an impulse buy in that way. I have to tell you that as a salesperson, I was really impressed by the copy uh, in your on your sales pages. Uh, oh, thank you, you very much. <laughs> have you ever have you ever tried to learn it or practice it, or it just comes naturally because of how well you know your product and the value that they bring? Yeah, I, I think it's a matter of trial and error. It's a kind of necessity, the mother of invention. I mean, I, I do write. I mean, I, I've written things for years, like you know, mm -hmm. uh, and tried to write novels and things finished uh so i have some experience with with writing i used to read quite a bit uh in recent years I've, i've kind of fallen out of the habit but uh but i think that um uh yeah i think you know the initial sales copy on any of these products was like or uh well at least on my earlier products was terrible you know it was just terrible mm -hmm. uh and so it's just a matter of of you know kind of troubleshooting and 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 um uh trial and error and, and just realizing like hey this isn't selling but i put so much time into this it's such a great product And then realizing, going and reading the sales copy, and it's like, yeah, this isn't this isn't explaining well, or or this is written in a way that's that's like hard to understand, or it's it's you know it's the paragraphs are too long, or there's you know it's like in, in kind of looking at what other people are doing, looking at um, you know uh, like okay, they're breaking up. Uh, it's like when I send a, an email, you know, to my mailing list, I don't just send a long paragraph. It's like I'm putting dividers and you know, subheadings and, you know, mm -hmm. having very short, short paragraphs, sometimes just a single sentence. And from like a writing point of view, it might even look ridiculous, but it allows somewhat, you know, now we're all kind of, you know, um, we don't have the greatest attention spans anymore. Right. So, and I think that applies to, to most people. So um, the, uh, uh, you, you know, it, it makes it more easy, easy for the person to actually read it and not get lost or, um, or not have like the eye fatigue of trying to keep your spot on text on a screen. And, uh, and so, yeah, that kind of thing has helped and just trying to figure out more efficient ways of, and that can be challenging, um, especially making courses like this because there's a lot that I'm trying to do with the course that maybe isn't so easy to describe. And so uh, I found that focusing, trying to focus more on what the results will be and uh, maybe spending a little less time on the method or the approach, but, you know, um, I, I want to include that, the fact that there's something special about the method or approach. Uh, but I think giving that, uh, focusing a little more learning, I learned to, to focus a little more on, uh, and I guess that's sales 101, but uh, took me, you know, I, I, it took me a while to, to figure that out. But uh, but yeah, it's um, uh, doing the, uh, yeah, really focusing more on on what their results will be, I think, uh, in, the, in the copy um, and just trying to segment it in a way that is easy to read and, all, and also easy to scan, where you can scan it and get the information that you want. Um, and uh, some of that may be advice from that friend I mentioned earlier, um, I'm sure. Uh, it's a little hard to remember now, and a lot of it's trial and error. Okay, we can credit him, but to be honest, I think you you summed up uh, copywriting 101 perfectly. Make it scannable, focus on the benefits. I mean, that's exactly right. All right, let's do a little um, break section, uh, my favorite quick fire round, right? I'll have a few okay. questions, very short. And I will ask you for very short answers. Uh, you can have a longer think about them, but try to give me a, a short answer, right? Okay. All right. Are you a team player or lone wolf? Uh, lone wolf, I get. Yeah, I'd have to say. Take risks or carefully calculate. Carefully calculate. Mobile or desktop? Oh, desktop. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Uh, engineering, uh, aircraft engineering or aerospace. I think would be probably my other choice. What is an underappreciated business tool that you couldn't live without? There's a there's a few of them, uh, but I will say, and this isn't just a plug. I will say, Selfie is a, is yeah. I would yeah. That the top on the list. Uh, Great answer. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, not even paid for it. I amazing. Yeah. <laughs> What's your productivity life hack? It's it's inconsistent, inconsistent. So um, so it's long periods of time of just doing nothing but working, and then periods of downtime. And what does success mean to you? I would feel successful at the point in which um, I felt that my music was really resonating with people who were really uh, able to appreciate it. Really, you know, uh, that, that would be, that would be, and I don't feel personally that, that I've uh, achieved that. So, uh, and I will just, as a side note, not to, to over lengthen the short answer, but um, 
that to me, just the earning, the money is about giving me the ability to work on the music. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm, I, I'm not too interested in kind of the trappings, I guess, of success or whatever, but more um, it's helpful because I can get the tools. Well, I think creative expression is as good a success goal as any, to be honest. Even though as a sales guy, I don't necessarily think that it's all about the money, you know? <laughs> right. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But I, yeah, I think that that's, that really, that, that drives me the most. So it's, it's mm-hmm. maybe uh, a challenge for me on the business side is sometimes I need to be able to focus on the money to grow the business, but oftentimes I need to have some external pressure to, to get me to uh, to focus more on trying to make more money. And that, that it is a challenge I, I face. Uh, uh, I do think that I'm, I'm, I'm almost not even slightly tapping the potential of what I've already but I've already put together. So uh, something I'd hope to rectify uh, this year, but we'll see. You, you mentioned actually before, so to, to close up the conversation, let, let's go back to what you said about YouTube being the plan for the year. Uh, so what is the plan or goal if you have any? Okay, yeah. So, you know, I, I uh, my brother, my older brother, uh, he uh, had has uh, he wanted to get into something similar to what I do. He's also a great musician. He's uh, professionally, he's a programmer right now. Uh, very interesting person. He has a PhD in philosophy. But he's uh, uh, realized he couldn't make enough, uh, you know, uh, to support a family, you know, living in New York at the time, you know, with that. So he uh, uh, he switched to programming, something like kind of a pet passion of his previously, and and then you know uh, that that was able to do it for him. But he had uh, he was the one who talked me into getting into more into the mailing list uh, and and getting more into. I mean, so my my friend I mentioned before named Andrew, he had recommended this years before, and Doug Marks uh, the creator of metal method um, that I started doing courses with years ago. He also had recommended this to me. I, I never followed these mm-hmm. advice, but my brother, John had, uh, had, uh, is the one who finally convinced me to, to get into that. So part of the, the uh, the strategy is, um, got me into doing the mailing list several years ago and, uh, not just like a standard mailing list, but, you know, using funnels and using, um, kind of automated, uh, so I can write like a great email, uh, that's just informational. I'm not trying to sell anything. It's just like every week people can get this email where I'm giving them, you know, some idea that I have or some uh, advice and, uh, and then not have that email just then be done. But it's like when new customers come in, they start at the beginning, you know, and, and they, they can get all these different emails and a sequence, I guess, yeah, it's in a sequence. Uh, and so, for, so from there, what, uh, obviously the best approach, maybe not obviously, but, but uh, to people who are, who know the strategy. Yeah, you want to be able to offer uh, free content to incite people to, uh, or entice rather, entice people to um, to uh, join your mailing list. You know, to to give your mailing list a shot. You get a, in this case, I'd be offering. Uh, and I started with the free course originally, which worked great, but um, for complicated, I won't get into it. I decided not to continue doing that. My strategy is to uh, start teaching short, you know, just techniques or. Uh, patterns, uh, also from um, some of my own original music, because there's really long passages of interesting guitar, technical guitar stuff that uh, that are found in those songs. And one thing is that, you know, people who are really into my music will watch the whole video, they'll listen to the whole song. But you know, most people aren't going to, so they're missing out on a lot of this technique. So to them, it's it's brand new. You know, it's like if they if I were to show them a clip from like the third minute of a song that has this particular technique. Even if they'd been following me for years, they've never seen it. They never heard it. So I, I had my strategy is to try to take some of that material and uh, the things that are, would be of most interest to uh, the audience, and just do short videos every week, uh, uh, teaching that technique, breaking it down, offering the free tab, and then have that be a window. Obviously, they don't need the tab, if they, you know, or they could just opt out of the mailing list after they get it. It's not a big deal. But the idea would be the the method of getting the tab is through signing up to the mailing list and then an automated uh, message with the you know, uh, email with the with the download link. And so uh, as a customer acquisition method, um, and then of course, keeping the people engaged with the sequence and uh, which I now have a pretty long sequence, but that's another thing I need to get back to, to everyone who's gone through the 30 or so emails have now, uh, you know, are, it's, they're not getting any new emails from me. So I need to get back to that. But uh, so that's kind of the, uh, in, in the, in the realm of just pure business, that's, um, uh, uh, like, I'm mean, rather not talking about the music side of it. Uh, that's kind of my strategy. And, and in part, it allows me to uh, promote the music because the clip this is from this song. So I can show a clip of the song. I can, you know, say, hey, this is from my song, such and such. 
And then, uh, and so that's, you know, there's a little side benefit of, of, of doing that, but it also adds credibility to anybody who's new is coming in. But each one of those clips, you know, and it could be formatted for YouTube as well as Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. And I plan to, to get into that as well. Um, okay. And uh, yeah, each one of those, uh, you know, it, it offers that opportunity to introduce people to, uh, to my style of teaching. Every single one, you know, could potentially have some viral activity. So there's always, mm-hmm. if you're making all that content and you're making quality content, you know, to the, to, out to the right audience, then each of those videos has the opportunity to break free from, you know, your, your own following. I'm a big proponent of so-called content repurposing, right? You can make a yeah. longer video on YouTube and then repurpose it across all the other platforms and formats like short formats. Uh, that's what we're trying to do with the podcast as well. Um, and it's quite amazing to hear, to be honest, uh, that you have had such a success in the business realm without ever doing that, <laughs> you know, that, uh, that, that, that what you have been doing has been so successful. So there is so much opportunity to grow still uh, unexplored and, um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to following, following your journey and, and seeing how it goes. Yeah. I really appreciate that. And thank you so much for joining and sharing, sharing your knowledge with us. Oh yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate that. Thank yeah. you, Dan. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Dan has a plan for a new content type and new sales channel. Imagine what he can achieve if he scales his current effort. We will watch out for news from Dan and you please watch out for our next episode. Until then, see you.